Hi, welcome to another episode of Inside Golden State Politics. I'm Bill Boyarski, former columnist and city editor of the Los Angeles Times. And I'm Sherry Bemich Jeffy, political analyst and self-styled media maven, coming to you from not Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yay! I love my virtual convention. Over to you, Bill. Well, Sherry, uh, God, I was thinking so seriously of uh, Milwaukee, the oh, beer yeah. and the brat. <laughs> and, and well, although although I got to say we uh, we barbecued hot dogs last night, that was uh, that was sort of the same thing. I, I don't see. know what to think of this new style convention. There were things about it I really liked. Uh, I loved the uh, uh, the nominations from all of the states and the territories around the country. Uh, it really gave you a panorama of the United States that you don't get in the crowded barn of a convention hall. And you don't have these boring people talking about, you know, the great state of North Dakota and all of its many products. So that was that was a big improvement, I thought. Except for the calamari. Oh, you I don't hate like calamari. calamari. I, I love calamari and calamari and I'm I'm definitely headed to Rhode Island find that find that chef and uh, get get a identical plate what uh and and i thought that the speeches were quite good and the way the speakers spoke directly to the audience rather than in this vast convention hall where they were small figures and of course as has been commented on uh michelle obama's speech was absolutely uh, terrific this skilled orator uh, in her, I guess, third convention. Yeah, this uh, this, is her third convention speech. This, this lawyer, uh, <laughs> this person who's been traveling all around the country, uh, speaking to large audiences, uh, selling her book at bookstores and libraries and in auditoriums all over the country. Uh, she was just terrific. And I think Trump, if he was watching it, and I'm sure he was, because oh, yeah, that, that's all he does is watch television, was just absolutely uh, furious. So that was sort of um, my feeling of, of what I saw. First of all, I want to say that the one of the things I liked best about the convention was that I could finally hear what people were saying. You're there in the auditorium. And you're even watching the regular convention on television. You hear screaming and yelling and drunken people running up and down the aisles and people waving, hello, mom, as they pass the television camera. This time, you really got to hear the words and the ideas and the stories told, not only by the, those who made speeches, but by the people who were out there in the 50 states and seven, 51 states, if you count D.C., and I like to count D.C., and our, and our territories. I thought that was super. Secondly, we shouldn't be surprised about Michelle Obama. She is either the first or second most admired woman in the country. And we shouldn't have to guess that she 
made Donald Trump more nuts than he normally is. Donald Trump cannot handle strong, powerful women, cannot handle Kamala Harris, cannot handle Michelle Obama, cannot handle Nancy Pelosi. And I just think that these women and others like them are just doing whack-a-mole to the Republicans who cannot stand that they're strong and they're powerful. But, you know, Sherry, I was thinking of, uh, of uh, people who were watching, and particularly young people who, for example, got tremendously uh, interested in uh, politics this year because of the issue of climate change or the many, many other young people who uh, got interested in politics uh, because of the issue of police reform. Uh, that drew, the issues like that drew them into the political process. And they're sitting there uh, watching this and, um, and there's not a word mentioned of climate change, at, at least when I was watching, maybe later on, there wasn't a word mentioned of police reform, which is the issue that's just dominating the uh, political debate. And I'm thinking of, uh, of people who are, who are interested in immigration, uh, especially uh, the Latino community, which is a huge part of the Democratic uh, vote. Not a word uh, in the first hours of immigration it's as though as it's as though there are these there are a lot of differences on these subjects and they papered them over exactly they papered them over that's the key and that's what a convention does there were mentions of each of those issues but there were no details we didn't hear much about policy details but honey if you want to read about policy Go read the platform for whatever it's worth, because it will be forgotten if it hasn't already been forgotten. It will be forgotten by the end of the convention. That's not what the convention is for. And it's certainly not what it's for when the Democratic Party, who has, which has been rent asunder by division on critical issues, is selling unity as the theme of its convention next week the week after next maybe we'll hear something and if we hear something i think the progressive wing of the party and the establishment wing of the party will once again be at loggerheads unless the leadership can prevent that and hey remember what will rogers said i don't belong to any organized political party I'm a Democrat. You'll hear something. Trust me. Well, you think uh, that younger, younger uh, Democrats, younger voters, who uh, in the first uh, few days of a couple days of the convention have been noti noticeable by their absence, will no, no, no. I, will, I, I disagree. Like I disagree. In fact, I've noticed that. There were more 
young people, and there could be more young people spotlighted in the little Zoom montages, because they were Zoom montages. Um, and I thought that I saw far more diversity on the screen than I would while I was walking the floor of the convention. I thought that was very interesting, but go right ahead. Well, I think that uh, probably uh, one thing that uh, you and I can agree on is uh, that the old convention has had its day. I think so, you're right. And uh, it's a thing of the past. Uh, the new convention will be either something like this or it'll be a variation of it or a modernization of it. But, uh, but the political process with the old convention has changed. And I don't know if there'll be anybody to mourn it except uh, the delegates uh, who used to go. And of course, the political reporters uh, who could uh, go and schmooze with their colleagues and go and out drink and, and eat for free and drink and eat <laughs> on the company expense account. And I can just see uh, bosses around the country and uh, cheering that, God, I only had to send three people instead of 30 people. Mm -hmm. What a, what a, what a, what, what a, a bargain, huh? What a bargain. What I, I will miss more than almost anything else is the swag. I can't get my buttons. I can't get my t-shirts. I can't get my coffee cups or water bottles. But I am telling you, not only the media managers, but the party elders will be very happy when they see how much less a virtual convention costs than taking half the world and plopping them down in the middle of a sports arena or a convention center. Having said that, however, let's not forget that Milwaukee is going to be deprived of a whole lot of money in terms of rental and fees and restaurants and bars and souvenirs at a time when the economy is already sputtering. That's so thanks for making me feel guilty. Now, Good. You know, <laughs> talking about um, uh, Michelle Obama's great speech, uh, reminded me and also you of it's the hundredth anniversary of right. women's suffrage when that women ratification of the 19th amendment to the constitution and you know uh you know you study this more than i and 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 have more thoughts on it than i but but i'd like to just pause for a moment to uh talk about a particularly important woman in american Black history, and particularly in Los Angeles Black history. And her name was Charlotta Bass. And she was the publisher of a newspaper called the California Eagle, that at one point was the largest Black newspaper in the Western United States. She was a fiery defender of, 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 of black rights and a fiery crusader against injustices like uh, the Scottsboro Boys. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and also the thing that distinguished the California Eagle was that it was 
a multi-ethnic. Its its viewpoint was multi-ethnic. She was as outraged by the sending deportation of Japanese Americans to the prison camps as she was by uh, injustices against the black community. She stood up for uh, Latinos who were brutalized by the Los Angeles Police Department and the Sheriff's Department in the pages of the uh, California Eagle. And finally, uh, since we're on the verge of, uh, since because of the occasion, she was a nominee for Vice President of the United States uh, in 1952 on the Progressive Party ticket. Now, the Progressive Party was a small party, but it was not a French party. And in 1948, the nominee was Henry Wallace, the former vice president of the United States. And it was a powerful force in progressive politics in the United States. And Charlotte Bass, Bass uh, was the nominee for vice president and uh, she and the nominee was um, Vincent Hallinan, who was this absolute uh, kick-ass uh, <laughs> lawyer from San Francisco. And he was so scorned by the establishment that I remember, uh, I remember in 1952 when he was running for president, he spoke just off of campus and I went out to listen to him speak. And campus police, UC campus police, photographed the crowd. That's how that's how uh, progressives were treated in those days. Anyway, I just wanted to remember her and uh, well, and talk about her a bit. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because um, in reality, the suffrage movement, the woman, the movement to give women the vote, was more than a single issue movement. It had its pluses and it had its minuses. It also was a part of uh, the prohibition movement. It later became involved in civil rights. It's, it became involved in labor movements. But like so much else, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There, were, there was segregation within the suffrage movement. Black women were not treated equally with white women, even after the, the amendment was passed. There were other ways, other methods by which black women and black men were blocked from voting, some of which still exist today. It's interesting to note that the tensions that we see arising so visibly today by and large, have always been somewhere in the movements towards any kind of reform in this country. And for the women, both women of color and white women, who were very active in that, that movement, it wasn't only a matter of making, of having laws made, but of being a part in the decision-making process and making the laws. And that's why I, one of the reasons I think that there's so much excitement around the nomination of Kamala Harris to be the vice presidential Democratic contender. I do think that that was right. And, uh, and it, it was really important. You know, we're, uh, we have jumping from that, 
to another, we were jumping not unrelated. to another subject, and that is really not unrelated. You know, uh, we're sort of facing a constitutional crisis here uh, in the United States over the over the election. Um, you know, President Trump is doing everything he can to uh, uh, sabotage this thing. Uh, he is gone on this unrelenting crusade against um, uh, vote by mail. So, um, you know, vote by mail, uh, Sherry, is really a very simple thing. They had it in five states. In California, uh, every registered voter will get a ballot. Uh, and uh, then you take the ballot and uh, you vote. And uh, then you uh, seal the ballot. And you sign it, and uh, then you either mail it or you drop it off in a regular. They have drop boxes or on election day, or you can, or you can do that. You can do that any day, or you can bring it into the polling place uh, if you can find <laughs> one of those. And then, and then uh, everything's going fine. Then they take the ballots. And they take them down to the registrar of voters or whatever the title of that person is in, in the county uh, involved. And then they begin to count them. And the first thing that happens is the signature that you <clears throat> signed on the ballot has to match your, say, your registration signature when you registered to vote. Now, in each registrar's office are going to be cores of lawyers and poll observers from each political party. And they will look at each ballot. They have a right to look at each ballot and see whether the signatures are correct. And they can challenge uh, the signature if the signature is accepted by the county poll worker uh, this observer can challenge it and the ballot is put aside. Or it could be that the poll worker will see that it, the signature does not look the same as the one uh, and the that they have on record. And they'll put it aside. The point is, the point is that you're going to have fights over all of these ballots. Now, if the Republicans do what they have indicated they want to do, they will challenge as many ballots as they can. Now, if you keep challenging ballots, you can go to court and you can go to court and you can challenge the election. Say the ballots were, uh, were, uh, were wrong, you know, that the signatures were wrong, were phony or whatever. We challenge the election, you go to court, the judge will, if it's the right kind of judge for the Republicans, will uh, accept that argument, uh, issue a temporary injunction to halt the counting, the counting of votes, uh, the processing, the whole process. Yes. That will string out and it'll go up to the appellate court and up to the Supreme Court. And what you're going to have, Sherry, is another Florida in all of the... Um, battleground states.
that will cause tremendous confusion. Now, now it did in the year you know 2000. How's, how's that going to look? It did in the year 2000 with only one Florida. Yeah, but here you get, let's say you have five Floridas. Okay, now how's that going to play on oh, the have a ball. that night? <laughs> I don't know if they'll know. You're talking what about least... on election night. On election, election night, election we won't night. know how right. vast this problem really is. But what the media will do is to announce that Donald Trump is in the lead, I would assume, because the Republicans tend to vote in person. The Democrats tend to vote, according to these the, the new polls anyway, tend to vote by mail. However, once the vote by mail ballots start getting counted, it will not be impossible that the ultimate victor may be Joe Biden. Then, wait, then... Donald Trump, I think, would step up and say, I won. I won on election night. This election has been rigged. And then the fight begins in earnest. No, the fight will begin before that. Because when the, when the ballots come in that night, Donald Trump will proclaim victory and say that he's been Reelected, and that will be uh, the dominant story. Uh, that from there the confusion will start, and it'll continue on as they go through the process of counting the ballots or not counting the ballots, and and okay. it's going for weeks. But he will he will have said he will have said, and he will set the tone that he won. Now it will be up to Biden to challenge that and they'll go on and they'll count Wait, the votes. Biden, I'm just saying, go ahead. You're right, but that's the role of the media to make sure that people understand how the process works. That there are, you know, and as, as I said before, and they've got to start now, they've got it, they should have started some time ago. I, the other day, I uh, looked up on NBC news, I think, dot com, um, a, a, a spot called plan your vote. You go to your, you, you go to your state and you get the timeline about what must be done by when in order to make sure that your vote gets counted. The media has to educate it, has to explain, look, election night isn't election night. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the final result unless it's a blow away one way or another, and it might, who knows, uh, the final result will not be known until all ballots, both on site and by mail and drop off and everything else are counted. And many states like California, you must be postmarked by November the 3rd, but you might have it delivered the 5th or the 6th of November. If it's postmarked by the 3rd, it still works. It's incredibly complex and it's incredibly risky and dangerous uh, given, as you indicated, what might happen with regard to Trump's response and the response of the Republican Party. Yes. You know, this could be... Uh, uh 
the first election, we've had some close calls, but this could be the first election that is not accepted by the American people. That, that could is, be the biggest question that's a of this election. Will this, will the American people accept the results of this election? Now, if they do not accept the results of this election, uh, God knows what will happen. Now, this is, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of this as a, uh, uh, as a reporter who's, um, you know, uh, been on the computer uh, uh, in the office uh, calling the elections uh, on, uh, on election night. And uh, reporters are very uh, fact-driven people, especially on election night when the whole uh, atmosphere is be careful, be cautious, get it right. Uh, uh, there, be, be just, just have the facts. And this will require dealing with a situation where the results may not be accepted by the American public. This requires reporters to take on a new and unaccustomed uh, role. Reporters will have to become not advocates for a party or advocates for a candidate. Reporters will be, have to become advocates for a straight, clean election that will be uh, accepted by the American people. And this is a new role, and I don't know if they can I'm not sure do that's that. True. Maybe uh, I'm not we'll sure have to give them. I mean, I, if you just explain the process well enough and thorough enough as a reporter, you will have done uh, and highlighted the way things should be. You've done your job, and, 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 and it's happened before. And, and I think it's got to be well, done well before they're at their computers watching the results come in. Well, this, I think it's going to take, a, I think you're right. They ought to start exactly. yesterday is when they ought to have started. Uh, and uh, and uh, this, is, this is an idea that would not be uh, accepted by a lot of reporters. Uh, uh, they should take election sessions. I think it's a lessons. hell of an idea. <laughs> they a ought webinar. To, they, ought, they ought to... They they ought to have a webinar on 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 how the thing works, uh, how they're going to cover it, what they're going to say, uh, have test runs, uh, you know, learn. Just like uh, I think it would be very helpful. Well, Sherry, um, you uh, you ought to go back to um, you ought to go oh. back to teaching and. Uh, Teach one of those webinars. Well, I am not an elections <laughs> attorney, as you know, Bill, but um, I could play one on TV, I guess. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll see. We'll we'll come back to this. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank our uh, producer director, Nancy Boyarski, and uh, Sherry. This has been very <laughs> yeah. deep and uh, very. Uh, uh, very challenging, and uh, we'll bye. see you again Cheers, next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.